Hi and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Ishan Akbar and we talk about all kinds of things from masculinity to violence to an Islamic upbringing to parental responsibilities and uh, to his time as a lady dancer. And I found it a really interesting conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, I'm going to put this out tonight, which is Monday night. Tomorrow, if you're in London, I have a preview at the Harrison Pub with Laura Davis of my new show Mythos. I also have a preview on the 10th of July at the Museum of Comedy. Uh, The one at the Harrison is only £5, though I think the one at the Museum of Comedy is a little bit more expensive than that. And uh, I should say thank you so much to all of my Patreon subscribers. It's been just a wonderful wonderful thing listening to all of your messages and talking to all of you and email me at alicerfraser at gmail.com if you have any questions or message me on the patreon app or on twitter at alliterative a-l-i-t-e-r-a-t-i-v-e if you're in edinburgh i will be in edinburgh uh there's various other gigs coming up but the best place to do that is follow me on twitter because i'm very bad at keeping my page updated and gigs do spring up at the last minute and you should come along and support me for that I think that's all. Obviously, the trilogy is still available, the Alice Fraser trilogy on all good podcast outlets. My Audible documentaries are available on Audible, and uh, Amazon uh, Prime still has the Resistance ethos, and the Resistance both are available to all of my Patreon subscribers at the $5 level. If you want to download them, then you just sign up at the $5 level, and the links are on my bio page. I've updated my bio page on my Patreon to make it easier for you to negotiate that. All right, I think that's all the things I had to plug and say. Uh, I will see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? Uh, my name is Ishan Akbar, and I'm having a skinny mocha. So it's not a tea. That's all right. Everything's tea if you think it about it in the wrong way. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense to me. Uh, I'm having a blue tea. A blue tea. A blue Thai tea. A blue Thai tea. And uh, are there any specific features of the blue Thai tea that... Um, it's sort of quite... It's like a green tea, but it's a little bit more complex and... Fl- I would say fl- floral, but not quite like vanilla-y. Okay, okay, okay. But that's underrating how nice it is. It's, okay. Is it better for you than green tea? Uh, I don't know. Because you know, everyone says like green tea is the best tea, it's so good for you. Well, it I helps mean, you lose weight. And yeah, but I wonder about that kind of health claim. I like green tea. I find that the um, caffeine buzz it gives me is kind of a, a gradation and then a like it's a yeah. nice smooth arc, whereas yeah. coffee makes me incredibly jittery and I don't like the taste. Yeah, okay, okay. okay. So uh, I find that part of tea better Mm. Uh, but for the health benefits I think often those things are quite exaggerated like there was a study you know things like blueberries which I love yeah you know and then when people said oh they're healthy you're like oh awesome they're superfoods and then you have to eat sort of 2,000 a day day. to get the benefits that are in it but then also if you take vitamins that reduces your life span yeah yeah yeah. Uh, because all this health stuff like healthy foods they can't be just taken in isolation because we've got a whole other diet, the way we live, the fumes well, that we're consuming live in someone like well, London. Well, also, a lot of what's good for us is good for us because it's bad for us. Okay. So things like exercise, yeah. you get a hormetic response, which yeah. is to say you damage your muscles and they grow back stronger. Mm. 
but we still don't, you know, things like free radicals, they're bad for you, and so then you take these uh, antioxidants, mm. but if you take too many antioxidants, that's also bad for you because your body doesn't develop a response to free radicals. Yeah, and yeah. They don't quite know the mechanism, but all of that stuff is not as simple as you would want it to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people really want simple answers, and so they'll just plunge themselves into eating 20,000 blueberries a day. <laughs> I don't even know if that's possible. Is that possible? I knew a man in uh, Sydney and he used to run this incredible um, coconut butter and nut shop. They, okay. He made these really beautiful mixed nut butters that were like one-third coconut butter, super rich. Mm. And he also make all sorts of other food. And he insisted that you needed to do poo six times a day. Right. It was an incredible shop. Uh, all, all the walls were covered in conspiracy theory literature, you know, mm. the government controlling us through our water supply, all of that uh, stuff. I loved amazing. it. Yeah. He called everybody captain, and he started his day with a salt water flush, which is where you skull, glug, glug, glug. Yeah. A, do you have skull here? Yeah, no, a, I know what skull is. Yeah, okay. I know what skull is. Uh, where, you, where you down one litre of very salty water, and what happens is then you almost immediately shit yourself. He's like, it cleans you out. Wow, okay. And he just said you can't be unhealthy and you can't put on weight if you're doing poo six times a day. I mean, he looked pretty healthy, but also he was a maniac. But also, that's that's putting your rectum through a lot in a day. So a lot of exertion. Yeah, uh, I'm sure he had a very fit... Oh, I mean, I, response I go his... once a day in the morning, and the curious <laughs> thing in my family is that none of my poos or farts smell. Really? Yeah, it's just, it's been this long-held thing in the family where like, we don't understand why Ishan's poos and farts do not smell. That's amazing. Is it amazing, or is there something wrong with me? I don't or know. something wrong with your family? Or something wrong with my are family. You, are you the youngest in the family? No, 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 I'm the eldest. Mm. But my even previous girlfriends have commented that... Okay. Yes, I've been told before that I don't smell, and I insist that I do only tiny little uh, rabbit poo. Right, okay. I mean, just for fun. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I do solid poos, but they don't, I didn't expect this conversation. But yeah, no, they don't smell. Yeah. No, did I, but let's go with it. <laughs> I, wombats, in, in, interestingly, the only uh, species in the world that does square poos, because they have a slit-shaped anus. There you go. That's a good fact. Yep. That is good a Australia fact. Good Aussie fact. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been wrestling with of late? Well, I've been wrestling... What have I been wrestling with of late? Uh, what... What does it mean to be a man now, in 2019? That's super interesting. Like, what, it, what is a man? Is there such a thing as the idea of a man? Because, like, I'm 34, um, I'm unmarried, uh, I'm a comedian, I'm, you know, I'm following my dream. Mm. Um, I don't really get into fights. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm very wary of my mental health and other people's mental health. I don't really do DIY, but I know that I should, or I feel like I should be, like if I'm with someone, if, you know, I was speaking to my girlfriend about this as well and been like, she's bisexual. And I've said, oh, you know, if someone said something that was homophobic to you or something or biphobic to you, I'd want to punch them. And she's been like, well, no, you shouldn't do that. Whereas I grew up watching my dad who saw, heard someone call his wife my mum and say, I'm going to fuck you. And my mum, my dad just beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And there's a space for the archetypal man, I think, but I don't know whether I can capture that space and what that looks like for me. I think that's a 
a thing that's happening a lot. There's a crisis of masculinity, masculinity yeah. that's kind of being thrown around. And I, I feel like it's paralleled by a crisis of femininity. You know, yeah. what is it to be a woman mm. at all? Mm. And then what is it to be a good woman? Mm. Yeah. And then, you know, so for example, even just framing up feminist progress as a woman can do anything a man can do, mm. then what's the place of a man in that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... So, I mean, we have rejected the purely, as a society generally, we seem to have rejected the purely biological delineations. Yeah. Which is to say a woman can have babies and a man can impregnate a woman. Mm. Like that, I guess, was the old... That's, yeah. that's yeah. like root one. Root one stuff. That's just, yeah. And that's then you get into it. what if you can't have babies, what if you don't want to have babies? Yeah. And then the whole definition blurs out of the biological and into the social... And even with that one, you've got the pregnant people thing now where people say there are, you're not necessarily a pregnant mother, you're a pregnant person because there are trans, oh, I need to get this right, this is a bit so difficult, there are trans women who can have babies. No, trans, trans men, men who can, can have, have babies. babies. That's, that's what I meant. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, trans men who can have babies. So part yeah. of me feels like that is, uh... <sighs> okay, so here's the thing. The central problem here is that we cannot as a species, seem to say this X is normal without then being down on everything that isn't X. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the problem is not... Like, it shouldn't be a problem to say women can have babies, men can't have babies. Yeah. Of course, there are all these exceptions. Yes. And if you're an exception, that's fine. fine. And you do you. Yeah. We can't seem to do that without being like... Oh, this yeah. normal is good, yeah, non-normal yeah, yeah, yeah. is bad. Yeah. And as somebody who's never been particularly normal, that's something I've wrestled with even before it came into this whole like discussion of gender in the modern world. Yeah. And then there's this new thing that I'm sort of troubled with with the discourse about gender at the moment was that for me growing up, like obviously this is an oversimplification, but I, I wasn't a girly girl. Right. And I never felt particularly girly. Yeah. So when I talked to a trans friend of mine, she said, I knew I was a woman in part because when I was a child, I wanted to wear dresses. Mm -hmm. And as a child, I didn't want to wear dresses. Yeah, okay. How is... So I thought the project was, for a long time, I thought the project of feminism was figuring it out, figuring out which parts of being a woman are inherent yeah biological yeah and this is before i probably even before i'd heard of trans people as yeah, a yeah, movement yeah. like when i was younger uh what is inherent and what is socialized yeah and yeah. i thought the project of feminism was to split them off yeah and say well you know women want to have babies because they've been told to or mm. do women want to have babies because they're bodies want to we want them to yeah and do we have to do what our bodies want us to do and so on and so forth. Like, yeah. I thought that was the discussion. I thought that was the project. Yeah. And now, certainly in the public discussion, that's not what... Gender is something completely separate from that. Yeah. Or it's the only the socialised part of it. Or Yeah, it seems like there seems to be a real shift away from, as you mentioned right at the top, 
the biological elements of, of gender discussion. Um, like, so for example, I spent 11 years of my life as like a semi-professional Bollywood dance choreographer, right? Amazing! Right? And a big <laughs> part of why I was reasonably successful was because I would dress up as a woman and dance. And people were like, you know, he's a very good uh, female dancer. He dances very well as a woman. At no point did I ever feel like I want to be a woman or feel like a woman. I just enjoyed taking that role, almost like a drag act. Yeah. But that has had two kind of responses. One is, well, you're obviously a bit gay or a bit trans or a bit whatever. Mm. And the other has been, actually, it's quite a masculine thing to be able to dress as a woman, dance as a woman, but not feel like you want to be a woman. Well, yes, and that kind of, again, goes back to earlier on of a woman can do anything a man can do. Why are we objecting to the idea that a man can do anything a woman can yeah, do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, putting aside womb owners, because yeah. apparently, at least in the current discussion, that's been separated from yes. what it is to be a man, what isn't. So, and then you also get into this idea that women behaving in masculine ways yes, makes right. them less female. Mm. And I get this all the time as a female comedian... YouTube comments, so women aren't funny, or that's, you know, a woman's greatest asset is her femininity, Femininity, as though it were unfeminine to put forward an opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As though that is something unfeminine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, there's nothing, speaking of like going back, well, there's nothing biological about having an opinion or expressing an opinion, but it's been graded as a masculine trait. And so by doing that, I, it's not as. It's like it's a zero-sum game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As if yeah. by wearing a dress you drop your sperm count. Count immediately, yeah. Like, I mean, you could beat someone up wearing a dress. Yeah, of course you can. And it's, like, there, have been, there, there have been instances where that's happened. Like, there's, I think a couple of years ago, there were these guys on stag and the guys were wearing dresses and one guy was being, you know, transphobic to them even though they weren't trans. And these guys were MMA fighters wearing dresses who just beat the crap out of this. And there was a video and it was very funny. Um, but yeah, because when I worked in banking, so I worked in banking for seven years and there was one female private banker and she was so interesting to me because at the time I was 21. So my frame of reference and language was a lot more limited than it is now in terms of my understanding of modern society and gender norms. She exhibited traits that I would consider masculine. Like mm. She was very forthright and she was very assertive and she was, um, she would shout over people and, but her... In a weird way, because the banking bosses were predominantly men, her greatest asset was actually her femininity. She was this beautiful, um, extravagant woman Mm. who actually, because she was so beautiful and and attractive, whatever, would attract clients. Hmm. Do you see what I mean? So she'd be shipped out to attract the clients because she was so beautiful. She was very clever, Oxford educated. Yeah. But actually, she knew that because she, when she wore makeup or nice dresses or whatever outfits, clients would be more malleable to doing business with us. So it was just this weird She's thing. a very cynical... It's such a cynical thing, but she knew it. Yeah. And she did it. Yeah. And that's fine, Yeah. I think. Is it? I don't know. I, I, I don't know either. I don't know if sexualizing yourself is... Uh, like, I don't know where sexuality fits into the whole thing or sexualization fits into the whole thing, partly because traditionally female sexuality has been something that ought to be controlled. Yes. So it's been sort of diminished in some way mm. and exaggerated in other ways. Mm. And and then so often, you know, it's considered either disempowering or empowering to use your sexuality. Yeah. 
when it's like I, I can't even articulate the problem with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so tricky because the, she she seemed comfortable with the notion that the initial um, uh, the initial way to attract the client was because she was so beautiful, mm. and then these Middle Eastern or whatever clients would be like, okay, now let's talk business. And she'd talk business with them, but they'd be more willing to listen because they were, she was so nice to them. I mean, at. traditionally, I guess, whatever gets your foot in the door, then you do, you do know business. What I mean? yeah. But, yes, there is something tricky about that. And, I mean, that's a problem with female sexuality that's been around since, I mean, since before Shakespeare, but definitely Shakespeare, the idea that yeah. putting on makeup is a lie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and a trick and something that you're doing to men or at men, while at the same time men are being told that they need to dazzle or trick or hustle or bully or, or, or you know, force women into yeah. being sexually available to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. this very conflicted idea of the genders as opposed to one another rather than as in concert with one another. Yeah, 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 intertwined with one another. And I think, I, I don't know if I've said this before, but it was a really interesting when my mum died. Yeah. Because my parents had, by virtue of my mum's illness, a fairly traditional marriage okay. in that she couldn't work. Right. So dad worked and he provided for the family and he did that kind mm. of traditional masculine thing. But after she died, uh, he was thinking about what he wanted to do next. Mm. And I asked him, what, you know, what are you going to do next job-wise or whatever? And he said, I don't know what I would do. There doesn't seem like much point if I've got no one to tell about it. You're right. And this thing that is, it seems like such a small thing, mm. such a sort of a pathetic feminine thing, which was that she cared yeah, 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 yeah. about what he did in his day. Yeah. And that everything was not just like for her laid on the altar of, but it was something that she was integral to, that whole yeah. process, and that without it, Without her, his sort of success in the public sphere was completely unimportant. Yeah. I have a very similar thing with me. Like, my parents had also traditional gender roles in many respects, but my mum my was... I mean, she was just very keen to be a homemaker. That's what she wanted to do. Mm. Um, but she came from a family of educated women uh, who all had, you know, wonderful jobs. My mum's thing was, I just want to run a family. That's what I, I want to run the house. Mm. Uh, although when she died, she was midway through a law degree. Mm. And my dad was always the provider. And then after my mum passed away, my dad took on the mantle of, I'm going to cook and I'm going to clean and I'm going to try and... will take on the role of quintessential mother. Yeah. Uh, he still has the, the the traditional male bits that I saw growing up of... He'll fix things in the house. He knows a guy. He'll sort stuff out. <laughs> you know, that kind of generation of yeah. men. But now he wants to be the guy who's cooking and cleaning. And with my dad, because I see someone who has this, for me, the whole gamut of masculinity. He's represented everything it means to be a man through the ages. He worked so hard for me to not have to struggle like him. I sometimes feel a bit lost and be like, well... I feel like... Where's my hormetic response? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's my thing? Like, what am I... What am I... To my partner, what am I providing? Yeah. Uh, what should I be providing? Like, I was... I remember dating this one... Uh, dating this one person. She was significantly wealthier than I was. Her dad was a very wealthy venture capitalist. So, so wealthy. 
And I didn't feel emasculated, but I certainly felt like I wasn't bringing anything to the party because I've grown up thinking that I should be working and being able to look after myself and have the money. Yeah. And not stay home. But if I was with this person, I could very easily stay home and be a homemaker. But a part of me felt so emasculated by the idea. Yeah, but this is the question, I guess. I think, I mean, the essential problem is one of technology. Yeah. Right, because... All of, and I know this sounds terrible, and I know historically people people have had, you know, different approaches to gender and all of that stuff tends to get written out of history. So putting that aside, but it used to be pretty fundamental to survival. Right. Gender roles were. Yeah. And gender roles were more important mm. because if a woman didn't do woman-y work, yeah. people would die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she yeah. wasn't doing the weaving and the cleaning yeah. and, you know... Cloth is incredibly labour-intensive to make. Yeah. Food, if you have to go out and, and get the water from the well and bring it back and boil it yeah. and you have to set the fire and you have to gather all the things to make it and you have yeah. to make sure that you pickle things at the right time so that you don't starve in the winter and yeah. then clothes because people don't want to starve to death and if you don't keep things clean, people die of disease. Yeah, yeah. Like That was incredibly hard work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the deal was in exchange... If someone tried to kill your women, you'd kill them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and yeah. actually, that's quite a good, even deal. Yeah. And that doesn't underrate the value of, of women's work. Yeah. Because you can see how essential they are. The idea of being a bachelor is quite a sad thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you'd be ragged and hungry and dirty. And, yeah, not looked after. If you didn't have, you know, and then if you were wealthy enough, you might have a woman to do for you. She'd yeah. come in and clean your house for you or whatever it happened to be because it wasn't a matter of running a vacuum cleaner over the carpet. It was a matter of heavy physical labour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you have kind of farming and industrialization, and and then all of a sudden... All of these things that were so necessary for survival, yeah, the man needed to, to be able to fight. Yeah. And if he didn't, he had to provide some value to society to get other men to fight for him. Mm. And that the woman needed to be able to cook and clean and be a good mother, otherwise your children would die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that, at that point, being a good mother isn't showing off on Instagram. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Keeping your children alive. alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when all of that goes away, I think that's. The real reason why we're being cast into this sort of... We're able to even have the conversation, I guess. Yeah. It's not important for you to kill someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the point where actually it's probably better if you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And time's probably, you know, time's freed up because now women don't need to do those things. They've got time to be able to do the things that they might want to do. Yes. Um, and, I mean, this is the thing. You meet, and this is probably a terribly broad strokes thing to say, but you, when you're in the kind of festival circuit, you meet these women in positions of organizational authority yeah there's a lot of women behind the scenes in comedy more than men i would say i think the gender roles are flipped you know a lot of men on stage a lot of women behind the scenes yeah, as yeah, a general yeah. rule um but you see these women with incredible organizational ability and you think you could have run a castle yes yeah yeah, yeah. very easily like, yeah and that's a an skill. army that's or... you know and then that's that's an incredible skill all these different moving parts and making sure you air the sheets and all of that like yeah, 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 yeah. huge huge organizational ability to run a household and i think also the added complication for me is that because i come from an asian background and an asian muslim background there are very clear uh, definitions for what a man should be in those communities. Mm. Um, Are they textual or cultural? Both. So 
the textual bit says sacred religion. You know, when uh, a man when when a man or woman marry, uh, the imam sits down and lists out all the responsibilities of the man mm. towards his his new wife, and they are pretty traditional stuff. Like you'll look, look after her and you'll protect her and you whatever. And similar things said to the woman, but they are like you will provide a family and you will etc. Um, and from the Asian perspective, like being a second generation immigrant in the United Kingdom, certainly my mum and my dad, it was all, you, you will get good grades and you will get a good job because you will be a viable option for marriage to someone. Mm-hmm. And the viability comes from you earning enough, owning enough assets and, you know, being, a, if you're able to, having enough impact in society so that your wife can look after your family. And even if she's working, we, you know, she, has, she should be graduated and uh, she should work if she wants to. That's great. But fundamentally, she's there to uh, expand your familial empire. Yeah. And make sure your children are raised in such a way that uh, they, they continue the good family name and all this stuff. So I had, I've always had those elements as well. So it's like, well, my brother, who's younger than me, 10 years younger, he got married before I did, which is a no-no in, in the Asian community. The older siblings should always get married first. I'm not really religious. I don't really practice Islam at all. Um, and, you know, my dad hasn't really... He, he was a person I observed, but he was never strict with me about this is what a man should be doing. Mm. He, ne- he never had a conversation with me and said, this is how you use a drill. Yeah. And then I think there's another element to it when it, do- when it comes to children, an additional yeah. factor in that is also a result of this same normative thing, Mm. which is children need looking after. Mm. And ideally they need looking after by the same person or the same couple of people Mm. for emotional growth and development and all of that stuff. Mm. And, And really you should give a kid a good year if not two years yeah. of that full-time yes. parenting. Yes. And I say should, again, that's like a sign of my, my like, yeah. the thing I was saying before of like, it seems to be pretty evident from the data that children thrive best when they have full-time care. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. From a parent figure. Yeah. And that's not even going into questions of whether a mother or a father is better at that or, you know gay relationships or anything like that but just that amount of care and the fact that 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 care is is undervalued is wild to me yeah because this is what in 15 years means your kid is in trouble or not yeah yeah, 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 this is this like that kind of very foundational building block of child's stability that pays off in 15, 20 years, which yeah, yeah. isn't a long time yeah. in terms of a government investing in an infrastructure project. And this is the infrastructure of your populace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet we consistently undervalue, you know, give you give someone six weeks what? off or even six months off yeah, yeah, yeah. to build a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the then you fun. can outsource it, yeah, really? The foundation, the very foundation blocks of... of being being an adult but like in, in islam for example they say that heaven lies beneath your mother's feet there's a very clear thing about the mother being significantly more important in raising a child than a father 
The father is important, but certainly religiously there's this, the umbilical cord and the fact that it happens in the womb and this undeniable connection between mother and child. Yeah. The, and so, in, I'll admit, I, I was a mummy's boy. <laughs> uh, and perhaps I'm even more so now that she's passed away because, you know, when someone passes away, they, they become um, even more important in your head. But if I ever have children, there is a part of me that because I've lost my mum, maybe I do want my partner to have a more hands-on role with our child than I would because I just believe that that to be true. That's interesting. Why in your head does not that task fall to you? It does fall to me, absolutely. I mean, in terms of being, yeah, I, being that role of the mum. Well, like, is, it, is, it inher- is it an inherently gendered role in your head? I don't think it's an inherently gendered role in my head, but I've got to a point where I just believe that the con- there's this inherent connection between mother and child that I cannot be a part of. I want to be, yeah. but I can't... I don't have an umbilical cord. I wasn't... The baby wasn't in my womb for nine months. The, womb, the baby didn't have my blood and my water. Mm. And look, I know there are people out there who have a very difficult relationship with their mums. Of course they do, right? Yeah. But this is something I know that in my head is probably unfair and has some sort of bias. I want... I, you know, my brother's changed younger than me. I was very hands-on with him in terms of changing his nappies and all this kind of stuff. But the relationship between mother and child is something that I just, in my head, believe to be true and stronger than that between father and child. I think certainly in that first year. Yeah. Like yeah, that's I, what I have I mean. many male friends who are going into being the full time carer and they're making that plan and they're yeah. setting it out just because their wives happen to be making more money or their partners happen to be making more money yeah. than they. Yeah. But there is an age up to which nothing is going to solve a problem like a boob. Yeah, yeah, breastfeed, yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's, you know, again, again, all of these statements feel like you're leaving someone out of them. Yes. Which, sure, you are. There's plenty of women who give birth and can't breastfeed. There's plenty of people who adopt. There's plenty of all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why it feels so fraught, though, to say these things. Yeah, that's the thing that's tricky, isn't it? I feel like it's something about us wanting to optimise our lives, have the optimal relationships, where I think maybe it's that's missing the point. But maybe it's also to So do... saying, for example, breast is best. Yeah. That doesn't mean breast is going to outweigh anything that comes along later. Yeah. So if you can't breastfeed and someone goes, well, actually breastfeeding is provides all these benefits that bottle feeding can't provide yeah. rather than feeling like oh well I'd better make sure that later on I do these other things to kind of counterbalance that yeah. you think oh I'm a failure how dare you that can't be true let's question the data yeah like why is that so fraught for people I just I don't for me it's just reflective of so much of what's going on in society at the moment where every single human being needs to be accounted for in mm. every discourse Mm. And I think that it's such a dangerous route to go down because now we're getting to a point where to identify people, we're going to have, we're going as deep as does this person have a womb or not. Mm. And to me, it just seems like, it seems over the top. And and as human beings, we just, we need definition. We need to know that we're labelled by something. And the conversations have become so fraught that 
I don't feel we belong to everything and nothing at the same time. Yeah, it sort of becomes so granular, a series of overlapping Venn diagrams that you become a class of one. Yeah, basically. I feel like it's maybe a a warping or a twisting of our very strong sense that belonging is a life or death situation, Mm. which sometimes it is, and in the past it definitely has been. You're Mm. part of a tribe or you're not part of a tribe. tribe, You're part of a family or you're not part of a family, and that's Mm. the difference between life or death. That's why people find public speaking so terrifying. That's why being excluded and bullied in school Mm. scars you so deeply. It's because you, on some level, feel like not belonging is dangerous, Mm. really dangerous. Mm. And for some classes and groups of people, it still is Mm. life or death if you don't have a tribe around you, if you don't don't fit in in a certain group, you can die. But that said, like just the attachment to this group identity, when that might not be the most interesting or important thing about you, and even if it is in this moment, it doesn't need to be. Yeah. And the tighter you cling to to that definition, good or bad, the harder it is to... Like, re- remember when Star Trek was all about, like, oh, anyone can be anything. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter what you are, and you still kind of have respect for your culture or wherever it is you come yeah. from, but you're in Star Trek more yeah. than anything else. Anything you're a Star else, yeah. Trek officer. You know, Worf has to yeah. overcome his Klingon prejudices in order to serve his duty as a Star Trek officer, and when he can't do that, he'll... He resigns or he steps aside and he goes on suspension and all of that. Like, I'm not articulating it particularly well, but you see, he knows where and when his identity has to come to the fore and then he puts aside this dominant Star Trek identity because he can't serve both masters. Yeah, yeah. And, And I don't know, like, when does that happen now? When does it become more important to you to be a man than brown? If those yeah. ever conflict, yeah. When does it become more important to you to be a comedian than a man? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, or vice versa, you know, in a situation where you could tell a joke or you could punch someone in the head. Yeah, let's yeah, say yeah. that's the masculine thing. thing. Yeah. At which identity comes forward? Which identity is pushed back? And does it diminish the other one? Yeah, but I think also like the idea that you can be anything you want mm. and you'll be included is also quite dangerous because that. You know, you wrap around yourself. There'll be people out there who might feel like they don't belong. There's so many places to belong, mm. but I don't belong in any of them. And it can be so isolating. Yeah. Um, and, like, this obsession with just trying to belong to a group. Like, so, for example, you've got LGBTQIAPK, and the K is people with kinks. Now, I oh, know... Oh, I didn't know that was yeah, a thing. So I know that... There are people with kinks. So, for example, if your kink is uh, being a goth, I know that you might not be able to get jobs and you might not be able to become uh, a feature in mainstream society. It might be harder for you. I get that. Mm. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, if I've got school children and I've got a gay person or a lesbian person or a trans person coming in to teach me about gay, lesbian and trans rights, I can understand that. But can I imagine someone with a kink going into a school and being like let's talk to you about why I like dressing up like a dog or being covered in custard and thrown out of a catapult yeah yeah or whatever it might be And but they needed to be included why? well this is what I'm trying to understand is that I mean there is 
But is that need for inclusivity? Well, it's, it's, it's a combination of the need for expression and the need for inclusivity. Yeah. Because you could be included, you know, even... You can be included if you pretend to be something that you are not or you downgrade some part of your identity that feels important. Yeah. And sometimes that's a good thing to do. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to fit in. Yeah. And sometimes it's better if you don't have to fit in and you can express yourself in different ways. Like I've never particularly feel like felt like I fit in. And as a result, I was bullied at school and I made that trade off at the time. I thought I can try, I can try and join a group. I can try and speak in this way. I can try and care about the things that these people care about. And I remember the moment I decided that I didn't want to try, Mm. that it would be a, a humiliation of myself. Yeah. And obviously, that's a minor thing. I'm just a weird person. It's mm. not. It's not an overt color difference or yeah, body yeah. difference or desire difference that people could see. Uh, it was just nonconformity. Yeah. And then again, you know, at what point should I have conformed? Yeah. Depending on what I want, like I couldn't fit in at a law firm. Maybe I should have just sucked it up. Do I need to be me that hard? Yeah, I was a bit like that with the bank. Like, I want this. My form of expression is I wear, you know, I bought a mankini and I wore it over my suit. I thought that'd be funny in in the bank, and it wasn't. <laughs> right? It just doesn't. What the hell are you doing? But this sense of identity as well. Like, I know I was born in England. Mm. I feel English, mm-hmm. but there are parts of the country where I go, they're like, you're not English. Yeah. There are Asians who don't see me as completely Asian. Mm. There are, um, you know, I think I'm overweight. Sometimes I call myself fat, but there are fat people who've had a go at me and said, well, you're not fat enough to be fat. And, you know, uh, and now this whole notion of am I man enough to be a man, what does that even mean? Yeah. Because there are men I look at, and in my head I'm like, that guy's a man. He's big, he's strong, he looks like he can protect and he looks like he can pick up a tree. You know, that's that's what I think a man could and should be, and that's what I'm not. But there'll be other people who might look at me and say, oh, he's a man because he's gone to follow his dream. He left a banking job to become a comedian. Yeah, and you've got a beard and you've got a girlfriend yeah. and all yeah, of these all things. all things. So it's just... it's so, it, it, Does it give me existential angst? Yeah, I guess it does, actually. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, maybe the problem with tri- this tribalism is when people rather than saying this is something I am affiliated with or want to be affiliated with, it's when people go, oh, you're not allowed. Yeah. You're not fat enough to be considered fat. You're not thin enough to be considered thin. You're not brown enough to be considered brown. You're not English enough to be considered English. And you suddenly find yourself boxed into a corner. Yeah. Whereas on on the other hand, and again, this is something that I struggle with and question and, and all of that, is I don't see what's wrong with not fitting in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an ultimate privilege, maybe. Maybe, yeah. uh, you know, the oppression that I have suffered for my differences isn't enough that I feel the need to hold very tightly to any particular identity. Mm. And I feel stronger in not being easily categorised. Mm. I don't like it when people... I tell this joke in my show this year, which is I was on a bus uh, in London and there was a man selling steaks out of a women's handbag. 
Right. And he was going up and down and he was talking to all these old women on the bus and all these ethnic women on the bus and he was trying to sell them these MS sirloin steaks out of a women's handbag. Right. I'm assuming stolen. Yeah. Don't want to judge. But he didn't approach me to sell me a steak. He didn't try yeah. he didn't even try to sell me a steak. Okay. And a part of me was offended. Right. <laughs> Because I wouldn't have bought a steak, but I didn't like that he knew that. Yeah, 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 okay. What assumption do you think he made about you? That I'm too clean cut, that I'm too young, that I wasn't ethnic enough. Right. I was like, I've got Jewish blood, maybe I'll yeah. buy a handbag. Yeah. But no, I don't know what it was about that. That made you feel... But it like articulated something, that, that, that event articulated something for me about how how much I don't want people to put me in a box. There's something that feels very constraining to me about people knowing who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know what that is. Yeah. Like, is it that I don't like who I am? Is it that I... I, I, don't, know, I don't know, but it is something weird. It's a tricky... Like, I, was, I, was remember, I remember speaking to a friend of mine. We were speaking quite regularly, like every day. And she was moving house mm. and we'd be speaking we'd be meeting up quite frequently and it, it was a kind of conversation where if she's moving house I would have thought she would have asked me to say oh you know are you free do you reckon you might be able to help me move some stuff mm. but she didn't mm. and I said oh by the way how come she didn't ask me to help you move some stuff mm. and she was like oh I didn't think you were the type and I felt so emasculated I was like I can move a shelf you know, I can move a sofa, I'm strong. Yeah. But she didn't, and I was like, part of the reason that she had that relationship, she had a relationship with me was because she was able to talk to me about issues of the world or her feelings. And, and so she'd put you in the feminine box. Yeah, yeah, in the box that wouldn't move a sofa but could sit on the sofa and have a conversation. Yeah. I, I just had the thought, and this is completely ill thought through, but maybe it's because I read so many books as a kid. That, that I feel entitled to be absorbed into any identity. Okay, you, what kind of books did you read? All you sorts oh, okay. of books, science okay. fiction, fantasy, okay. uh, genre novels, but predominantly those are male protagonists. So I feel like I have that experience, those, okay. those values that you get from reading books as a young person. I want to be able to slay a dragon I want to be able to sweep someone off into the sunset and also be swept off into the sunset I want it all kind of thing and yeah. I feel like I have the right to that or is there something about being told who I am that feels like I'm not allowed to enjoy that experience of being in another person's shoes yeah and then that's kind of doubled down on by the rhetoric at the moment of you cannot understand what it is like to suffer as this person awesome. or as that person and I think you can't, you can't have the same experience, but surely part of the whole human project is towards empathetic yeah. projection. Yeah. The idea that I can understand at least a little bit what it's like to be in your shoes, that yeah. I can make an analogy that will give me at least some sense of the emotional impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something inherently lazy about, you know, I'm sure you got this a lot when your, mother's di when your mother died, of like, I just can't imagine... Yeah. It's like, well, try. Well, try. I'm sure you can. Like, imagine how you'd feel if your mum died. 
That's Just how that. I feel. That's yeah. how I feel. Um, and of course, they couldn't because you couldn't yeah. imagine it before it happened. Yeah. But at least you had some idea. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a similar thing with me because I used to read a lot as a kid too. I still do, but my main reading was predominantly Victorian literature. So my idea... Oh, yeah, me too. My idea of what... Because um, the way men are represented in Victorian literature... Yeah. ...is, like, quite strong and they lead stuff and... But also very dapper. Dapper and all this stuff. Very so, refined in their yeah. manner, in their clothing, completely in control, yeah. both of their internal and external yeah. self. Often dominating over the woman. Yeah, very much so. Very, very... Yeah, a nice mix between intellectual and physically powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I obviously absorbed that as, as yeah. well. So I grew up, like, wanting to be Heathcliff. No, oh, no. But not Heathcliff, even though he was really flawed. He kills you know a I mean? puppy. Yeah, but he did, he did kill a puppy, but, you know... He was a bloke, wasn't he? Some, and someone was madly in love with him, and that's what should happen with me. But there's a similar thing, is I absorbed that kind of literature. I, I'll tell you the thing, you will never see me in heels or clothing that I can't run in because I read some weird, like, temperance book at some point that right. was the... the this, this story was of a, a young orphan who stays with her aunts in the city and they're sort of frippery fashionable ladies and then she goes to her uncle in the country and he's very wholesome and he says he he, he dresses her up as a fashionable girl and says like try and run away from a horse and then he dresses her in his in like unconstricting non-corsets and he's like jump over run away from the you know yeah so i always think when i put on clothes could i run away from oh how interesting anything how funny. in this and that's something i read when i was 11 right. like and yeah, it's just yeah. it just went into my head of that's an important factor. Quality to have. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing the kind of places that influence your idea of what you should be. Yeah. And then society's telling you this is how you should be. Literature's telling you this is how you should be. Your family's telling you this is how you should be. And at some point you're just like, I just want to be who I am and be fine with that. Yeah. And not worry. But I know I worry about it. Yeah, not worry how much the... M- it's it's the it's the tension between wanting to improve yourself yeah. and be good, be mm. a good person, and be good for the people around you, and be a good version of the things that you are to other people and to yourself, and at the same time, not measure your qualities against some external metric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't encompass all of the ways in which the parts of you move together. Yeah, you know. It, it's it's one thing to say, you know, you're a very good female dancer. Yeah. And how does that feed into your... Like, does that boost your masculinity points? Maybe. Maybe. To some, yeah. To yeah. some people it does, and to some people it just doesn't. Yeah. Why, why do we have to... Why do we have this compulsion towards measurement? But maybe it is that. It's who decides. Who, who, are, the peop- who are the arbiters here? Who are the people who are deciding on behalf of society, that this is what normal looks like? Well, this is a question of whether that whether that's a quantitative or qualitative metric. Yeah. Is it bad to be abnormal? But that requires us to define normal. Well, I read this... And who's defining that? ...really interesting book about outliers and dissenters, okay. uh, about the idea that to be a dissenter, to be someone who is outspoken against the norm of your tribe is very personally damaging. It's bad for you as an individual to be a dissenter, but it's very good for the tribe. Okay. 
whether they stone you to death or not, mm. it's very good to have dissenting voices. Mm. And yet somehow we're compelled to squash them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who compels us, though? Is it human nature? Is it, is it society? Nature? Is it hangovers from medieval times? Is that wired into our genes? Is it... Who knows? Because we don't, you know, certainly for us, you know, living in England or whatever, we don't... We're not... I mean, we can argue this point in terms of how political structures exist here, but we're not answering to some sort of dictatorial power or local village leader who could execute us if we dissent. So yes. we can happily dissent. Yeah, it used to be if you said, I hope the king gets a cold, you they'd chop your tongue out chop and tongue gut out. you in the square. Exactly. So we don't have that. But even so, something prevents us from being a dissenting voice beyond what is already regarded as, you know, the liberals, the liberal liberati complaining about certain things and you can be that dissenting voice but well see i find that on the bugle so i love being on the bugle it's an incredible thing and it's something i used to listen to yeah the bugle is amazing and and feeling really lucky to be on it at the same time as knowing that the tone of the bugle is very lefty yeah so trump comes up and your impulse immediately is to bash on trump yeah or whatever it happens Which to be. Which I think is comedically unsatisfying. It's, uh, it is comedically unsatisfying because yeah. I've defined myself as a non-conformist. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. I'm in all of a sudden my people and then I feel the urge to dissent against them. them yeah. To define myself as a dissenter because that's my identity or whatever that yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the best one I did on that, on that uh, note was there was a bunch of um, poachers and it's really arrogant to talk about how great your own jokes are. <laughs> there was a bunch of poachers who, killed, who were there. killed by lions. Right. Uh, and the, the general feeling on my online bubble was serves them right. Yeah, they deserved it. They yeah. deserved it. And I thought, I just can't bring myself to do that. Hmm. So I think the joke was something along the lines of, you are what you eat, So in which case those lions are now either arrogant assholes or incredibly poor men in a part of the country where they have to look after their families and there's no other source of income. Right, okay. And Very that's good. what I'm compelled to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I just didn't want... The, I, it feels lazy to do the thing that seems yeah. like everyone will agree with you. It's, it's one of my... It is one of my criticisms of satire at the moment, which is I just don't think satire is satire at the moment. Nowadays it feels like satire has fallen into the realms of I will tell you an opinion that you agree with and you will applaud. Yes, and I've always disliked that. Um, and also, harking back to what we were talking about in terms of identity, sometimes I feel like if you want to satirise something, you're only allowed to satirise something if you have a personal, inherent connection to the thing you're satirising. For example, um, what's a good example? So I don't like the fact that people get really wound up or worried if people do non-white accents. Mm-hmm. So if a white comedian comes on, does an Aussie accent, French accent, Italian accent, it's all fine mm. because they're all white. Mm. The moment you do a non-white one, it was like, oh, you're punching down. And for me, as an Asian person listening to that, I'm like, who decided that? Yeah, I've had this before. Who decided that? Of, I, of, I, I did this in The Resistance and I'm not sure if it made the cut because it was quite a contentious thing to say, particularly at the time. But it feels like reinforcing a hierarchy that doesn't need to exist. Yeah, yeah. That like... 
if I make fun of a Chinese accent, which yeah. is not my jam anyway, I don't yeah. tend to do that kind of joke, but if I were to make fun of a Chinese accent, someone tell China that, that they're lesser than. Yes. Uh, in the context of the world, the world, in which I'm speaking now, because yeah. we're in a global world. Well, of course. The Chinese are the majority of the world. Yeah, yeah. I, How is that punching down? It's the same thing, same issue I have with calling myself a person of colour or woman of colour, because I'm like, I, I personally never agreed that white was the dominant paradigm. Yes. And everything else falls off that. So I don't call myself a person And a of lot color. of those discourses are very American-centric. Yeah. In terms of the words that are taboo, the actions that are taboo, these hierarchies that exist in America, the minorities and majorities of demographics that exist in America... Yeah. ...are somehow carried over to us. Yeah. Where the, there are different... Yeah, it's a different dynamic and kind of structure. Diff- Absolutely. So those, those kind of things in terms of, yeah, identity and the kind of satire we do... Well, well, one one example, I don't know if this entirely works, is in Australia, a lot of my Indigenous friends identify more with African Americans than they do with Native Americans. Right, okay, interesting. Culturally speaking, in terms of the language and the clothes and the yeah. even the discourse about race tends to be drawn from African... And that's American cultural imperialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the experience of... Indigenous Australians more closely mirrors the experience of yeah. Indigenous Americans than it does African Americans. Yeah. It's like sometimes I feel like we, in this country, and this might be a contentious thing to say, we get more upset about Trayvon Martin than we do about Stephen Lawrence. Yes. Because Trayvon Martin is American. It feeds into this American notion and the discourse there that there's uh, police brutality on black people. But Stephen Lawrence is a British black boy who was killed, and yes, we remember him, mm. but what that represents, I don't think gets discussed nearly as much as what's happening in America. Yeah, it feels as though that's our story because that's the story we hear. Yeah. And that's the danger of stories. The stories that we listen to shape our idea of the world. Yeah. And the story that it's wrong to do a brown accent. Yes. Because yeah. brown people are below us. I mean, the richest man in the United Kingdom is a brown man, Luxury Mittal. Yeah. And I don't know if he's thinking that he's lower than anybody. Yeah. But then, yeah, so it's, it's this odd feeling, because even saying this, and I can tell both you and I feel uncomfortable saying this, because I'm not... But it is, it's odd. Yeah, I find it, I find it quite frustrating, because I'm just like, well... Because you don't want to sound like the guy who's like, it's, you know, it's reverse racism. Yeah. You don't want to be in that camp. Yeah. But equally, there's this unquestioning agreement about what constitutes offensiveness that seems to be based on an invisible hierarchy that will exist forever. Yeah, and that's been decided. I actually think that's been decided as well by the very people who are telling us we can't do that. Yeah. Which inherently makes it... Really confusing and difficult for me. I had this incident yesterday, which really, really made me very... As, as though power were not contextual. Yeah. As though the one dude in yes. the gender studies class isn't the oppressed minority yeah, 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 in yeah. that Club. context. Yes, exactly. As th- uh, He must instead represent by proxy all the oppression of all of mankind. Absolutely. And so many of my male friends and colleagues are feeling so torn by that, this idea that they are responsible in some way for things that they didn't do. 
because to look at them, they represent something. Yeah. That histor- and they benefited from something. Yeah. And that they should apologise for benefiting from that or yeah. re- that they have some responsibility. I'm not saying they don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's so ill-articulated. It's so sweeping. Yeah, that's that the main problem. The- it's the sweeping nature of the set. Like, I had this very incident yesterday. I was supposed to go to a meeting. Well, I say a meeting. It was just discussing over tacos... Uh, this new podcast that was starting with the BBC in September. Ooh. Uh, and it was me, uh, Sunil Patel, Sukhajla, and Adnan Ahmed is the producer. And basically, long story short, I couldn't make the meeting because the night before, I went out and had too much fun. <laughs> so I text them and I said, look, guys, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I can't make it. I overdid it last night. Da, 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 da. And one of the... The, 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 la- the lady who was going to come to the meeting, unbeknownst to me, put a story out on Instagram... And she said, you know, I, I, I've just found out that a meeting's been cancelled. I'm already on my way there. I've can't, you know, I rearranged a lot of stuff to do this. It was my only day off. I'm a bit pissed. I'm quite pissed off. I'm out of pocket. And I'm sick and tired of men getting away with this shit. And that final statement really irked me. Because I am not representing all men. You didn't do that as a representation of no. all men's entitlement to cancel things. You did no. it as a representation of you being a bit of a dickhead. Dickhead. As an individual. Individual. Do you see what I mean? But that sweeping statement, I get why she made that. So, But now, there was a part of me where I was like, where I was like because I'm trying to be so hyper aware of stuff around me, I thought, okay, to prove that I shouldn't get away with this, do I step back from the podcast? Mm. Do I then say, do you know what? She's right. Men get away with this kind of stuff all the time. I didn't make this meeting over tacos. I shouldn't do the podcast. Yeah. We should wrap this up, but I okay. think there's one more thing that I want to kind of throw into the mix. This doesn't have to resolve, by yeah, the way. We don't have to solve, solve the anything. issue. Yeah, good. Uh, Just right out there. Talking about uh, women in law firms. Yeah, okay. When I was in a law firm. Yeah. And the feeling and the reality that if you're a woman in her late 20s, early 30s, they treat you like you're toxic you're dangerous because they can't ask you whether you want to have a family or not so they treat you as though you might any second Uh, get knocked up and cost the company a year's worth of maternity pay so what happens is women of that age tend to get uh, sent in-house out to the secondments in the hope that they'll enjoy the lifestyle there and not come back when they get knocked up they'll go for that oh interesting I didn't know that okay so there is this kind of punishment that's doled out to all women as a result of the positive legislation that says you can't ask women. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing. And then small to medium-sized businesses just don't hire women of that age right. and they don't tell you why, but it's because of that. Um, and I was sort of talking about this and the number of female partners and whether how much of that is because aggression is considered a, a masculine trait and women need to either fake or uh, express aggression which might not actually be the best thing for leadership, mm. but it just traditionally has been. Has been, yeah. And my friend said this, and I, it made me feel very uncomfortable, which Is was... male or female friend? He's male, male and yeah. in a senior position. Uh, more, more senior than me, anyway. And he said, well, you just can't ask a woman to stay late. He said, I wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. If a woman says, oh, I've got to go home... I would feel obliged to let her. And there's sort of an underlying chivalry to that. But if it was a man who said, I've got to go home, I'd say, harden the fuck up. Right. Swallow some concrete. 
And right. And so for him, this thing that, from my perspective, was um, being denied opportunities to excel in this framework, mm. I mean, not that I ever would have excelled as a lawyer, but, you know, mm. just in terms of just talking about it with other women of, like, why don't we get these plum jobs? Why don't we get the big cases? Why, do, why is that always being funneled off to the men? From his perspective was something that you were, you weren't allowed to push women in this way. You weren't allowed to bully women in the way that you could bully men. How interesting. So then yeah. men had that, and maybe coming full circle, they had the hormetic response. They got those really hard, really awful, late hour, long shift. Stressful. Stressful. Yeah. Because they, why? Yeah. Men deserve it. Men can take it. Men are worth less in that frame than women and end up being worth more because they're disposable, because they're cannon fodder, because they, women need to be treated more gently. Gently, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're in this odd, odd position of saying, okay, A, nobody should be treated like that at all. Yeah. But these are the realities of business. Mm. Are we asking for, for senior partners to bully women? Yeah. Or are we asking them to bully no one? Or what are we... What are we bully everyone equally. Bully everyone equally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... But they know they can't get... They couldn't get away with it. It would be sexist if you bullied a woman in that way. If you yeah. Asked, you know, if you grabbed her by the collar and said, get your shit together, man. Yeah, yeah. In the way that they feel entitled to do with men. Men. I've had a step to throw at me at work when I was in the bank. Yeah. I, I can't imagine... My... my uh, when I was at working at uh, an investment bank, I had folders thrown at my head, but it was a female boss. Female, Okay. Yeah, so, I can't imagine a male boss throwing a stapler at a female yeah. colleague. And yeah. is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing, thing. this like, is it. This is the question. Yeah. It's a, well, it's a bit like that Frank Field situation with the with the woman, the Greenpeace activist. Oh, yes. And Frank Field grabbed her by the throat and chucked her out. Yeah. If it was a bloke and he did that, yeah. would the outcry be as much? I don't know. But then that, yeah, this is the question. How much of these things are relevant or important in any given situation. If, if Frank Field were a woman and the protester had been a man, you know, you yeah. see this all the time yeah. where a woman will get applauded for physically standing up for herself in a scuffle in that yes. kind of way. Yeah. Obviously, I think he acted in quite an unprovoked yeah. way. Yeah, he was just was ridiculous. Frank, with it. Yeah, but let, sort of taking outside yeah, all yeah, of the yeah. actual circumstances, just that butting of heads yeah. in a physical way. Yeah. If it was a woman who was... I mean, you know, I've seen YouTube videos where someone's been racist to a cashier at a KFC and she's punched him in the head, head and yeah. been applauded for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. If, if we are aiming for some sort of equality or not having those gendered roles, yeah. what should be acceptable now? I don't know. It's tricky, isn't it? It is tricky. And I think... I think we, we're just going to have to figure it out. Uh, Over time. Where can people find you online? Uh, at ishanakbar.com and on Twitter, uh, Michael Packentire. Michael Packentire. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, I will see you next week. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Thank you very much for having me.
do you know, or do you not? This dolphin mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you dolphins, cry up your ends. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lousy rifle doll, lousy rifle day.